The impeachment inquiry is now 30 days old. Boy, that was a busy year. The lead starts right now. The pushback. President Trump's Republican allies rallying to condemn the impeachment inquiry after the president calls Republicans who do not back him human scum. It's a tongue twister. And President Trump's new attempt to reframe the debate? No quid pro quo, he says. But will the facts drown out his new catchphrase? Plus... Leave the U.S. allies, stay for the oil fields. New CNN reporting today on the president's plan to leave troops behind in Syria and what that says about his priorities. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin today with our politics lead. Today marks one month since House Democrats formally announced the impeachment inquiry. And today Republicans are slamming it with Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Senator Lindsey Graham introducing a resolution to condemn the impeachment inquiry process. Republicans are in part attacking the fact that these depositions of witnesses conducted by both Democrats and Republicans are being done in private. This, of course, is a way for them to attack Democrats without having to address the president's conduct and the allegations being made about a quid pro quo testimony that Trump demanded that Ukraine investigate Joe and Hunter Biden in exchange for $400 million in U.S. military aid and more. Now, as a journalist, I should say, I want everything out in the open. Depositions, hearings, everything. But Republicans attacking the notion of private depositions is a complete contradiction of how Republicans, when they were in the majority, conducted depositions. But don't take my word for it. Here's then-chairman of the House Oversight Committee, Trey Gowdy, all the way back in 2018. Public hearings are a circus, Margaret. I mean, that's why I don't like to do them. I don't do many of them. I, I mean, it's a freak show. I mean, the private interviews are much more constructive. In fact, in 2015, when Republican Congressman Darrell Issa went into a private deposition for the Benghazi Committee, a committee Issa was not a member of, Gowdy escorted him out. So why attack the private depositions that were such a key part of how Republicans conducted oversight? Well, Perhaps because of what a Republican source tells CNN's Jamie Gangel that behind closed doors, the testimony earlier this week from the top diplomat in Ukraine was so damning, it's, quote, reverberating throughout the halls of Congress. CNN's Sunland Serfati kicks off our coverage today from Capitol Hill. House Democrats are plotting their next moves in the rapidly growing impeachment inquiry. But was there a quid pro quo? After a slew of closed door only testimony for weeks. Sources tell CNN Democrats are now aiming to move from the behind the scenes phase of the investigation into the public phase by mid-November. But sources caution that timeline could still slip until after Thanksgiving. That will be the point where I think that we will try and figure out what the best combination of people to speak in a, a more transparent and public way would be. That next new public phase would include releasing transcripts of the closed-door depositions, holding public hearings, and bringing back some of the witnesses they've already heard from, like former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine Marie Yovanovitch, Trump's former top Russia advisor Fiona Hill, Trump's top diplomat in Ukraine Bill Taylor, and the U.S. Ambassador to the EU Gordon Sondland. Once that phase is done, the committees would then release a public report to draw up articles of impeachment and vote in the House Judiciary Committee. That would be followed by a full House vote on articles of impeachment, potentially by the end of the year. 
What we're doing right now is a first pass. We are interviewing uh, the witnesses that we know may have been involved uh, and actually paring down that information so that you can pull out what's relevant for the public. Meantime, some Republicans continue to cast doubt on Bill Taylor's testimony this week. Did he talk to the president? He talked to Ambassador Sondland, who talked to the president. Oh, that's hearsay. As GOP sources tell CNN, Taylor's opening statement, which laid out the clearest evidence so far of an apparent quid pro quo, is, quote, reverberating, calling it a game changer. Also today, responding to pressure from the president. The Republicans have to get tougher. Senator Lindsey Graham introducing a resolution condemning the House's impeachment process. The process you're engaging in regarding the attempted impeachment of uh, President Trump is out of bounds. It's inconsistent with due process as we know it. And Senator Graham, speaking just a few minutes ago, had just returned back from the White House where he had lunch with President Trump along with nine other Republican senators, including the second most ranking Senate Republican, Senator John Thune, who made news up here on Capitol Hill Wednesday when he acknowledged that um, Bill Taylor's testimony was indeed troubling Thune on Wednesday, saying it didn't paint a good picture. Well, he walked that statement back today, Jake, Thune now saying that Taylor's testimony was just second hand information certainly shows the recalibration of the Republican strategy up here. Jake. All right. Back on the program, John Thune. Sunland Safadi, thanks so much. And this just in, the New York Times has obtained a letter that one witness testifying on Capitol Hill received from the Trump administration. The letter addressed to the counsel of Laura Cooper, a Pentagon official in charge of Russia and Ukraine policy, makes note of the, quote, administration-wide direction that executive branch personnel cannot participate in the impeachment inquiry under the current circumstances. The letter is signed by the Deputy Secretary of Defense, David Norquist. It was sent on Tuesday. Cooper testified Wednesday under a subpoena. Uh, Let's chew over all of this uh, with our experts. And, Bianca, let me start with you. So it seems as though a lot of people in the administration that uh, have been subpoenaed, uh, even though they're being told by the Trump administration not to participate, are participating anyway. They have a lot to say. And clearly what we've been hearing over the past week and a half all sounds somewhat along the same lines, right? They, they, they lay out a, a chain of events that take place ever since President Zelensky was elected. And after his inauguration, where you had U.S. officials attend, all of a sudden you start to see concern internally about U.S. money, U.S. aid, especially military aid, along with a meeting with President Trump. So I think the most damning that we're hearing out of all of this is that their stories are very similar, in fact, and they clearly want to go out there and tell their stories. And especially given what we heard from Bill Taylor and you hear about, obviously, he's got so many decades of experience. When you hear his state of concern and saying this goes against U.S. policy, Mm -hmm. this goes against why I'm doing this and why I've been doing this for so many decades for both Democrats and Republicans, it's anti-American and his threat of even resigning I think you're seeing a lot of concerns out of Republicans, which is clearly why you saw them storm yesterday, storming yesterday. Do you think ultimately the evidence is, could be just so overwhelming or do you think the Republicans are going to pretty much stay with the with the veneer of solidarity as they've had so far? Pretty right, much? right. That's the million dollar question. What we've known for the last couple of years is that the bar has been uh, astronomically high for Republicans to break with the president. You, you're mentioning the senator who even walked back those mild criticisms after Don the Thune, Bill Taylor yeah. testimony this week. 
Um, what we do know is that the facts keep leading in that uh, leading in a damning direction. If Democrats are able to build a case that gets the public to turn, that adds additional pressure on Republicans. But uh, let's look at the senators who are up for re-election, who need uh, Trump support. You have the Lindsey Grahams. They are still walking that fine line to uh, right in lockstep with the White House. I don't know if that's going to change soon because they have such they've they've learned from the 2018 election all mm. the way up to now that crossing this president is a damning political move. Now, that is not a calculation that the diplomats have made, of course, because they're looking on the legal side, not politically. Uh, go ahead. Well, and also just it's such a remarkable contrast to look at the numbers of career diplomats and officials, including whistleblowers, who have come forward and are unafraid of Trump's intimidation and the uh, administration's threats, even though they've been real hostile to, to these people. You compare that to Republicans who have been so afraid, and I'll, I'll, I'll say afraid, to uh, condemn the president or even just be open-minded enough to see where this all leads. It's a remarkable contrast in courage. And, and, and to that point, I just want to play the sound, because yesterday John Thune, the number two Republican in the Senate from South Dakota, yeah. uh, said that the picture being painted by Bill Taylor was not a good one. That was then, this is now. Right now, we're hearing one side of the story, and until we get the full picture, I think it, I said this yesterday. I think it's hard to draw any conclusions. You said well, you didn't, the, the picture that painted of the president wasn't great. Well, Do you it so was great? based on the reporting of what you guys were saying about it. But I went back yesterday and actually read what was said, and um, and there is there's a lot of um, secondhand information, a lot of sort of hearsay, not hearsay, but in the sense that it was passed on. It wasn't a direct conversation. Now, it's true that Bill Taylor did not testify about conversations he had with President Trump, but he talked to the people in the administration, Volcker and Sondland, yes. who had had direct conversations with President Trump. Yeah, it's not hearsay when San, uh, Sondland tells Taylor that Trump wanted Zelensky to state publicly on the record um, that Ukraine will investigate Burisma. Uh, uh, he wanted to, quote unquote, put him in a public box. Burisma, I mean, the organization Hunter Biden worked for. Right. I mean, he th that's not hearsay. That would be admissible in court. No one would object and say, no, 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 you can't say that. You heard that someone said that. No, he heard someone relevant say it to him. Not to mention we have the rough transcript, Keith. Yeah, we have we have plenty of evidence to back up what what has already been said before. So we don't necessarily have to have the direct conversation. I think what people are, are missing is that the Republicans are saying you have to have a conversation that shows that President Trump explicitly said to someone there's a quid pro quo. And absent that, we're not willing to see the, the obvious facts of what's going on here. Um, but I think that the, the letter that we just came that just came out for the New York Times indicates a couple of things too. One, it shows that the White House is scared; they are frightened about this thing, and they're trying to do everything they can to clamp down any sort of a discussion about this in, the, in Congress. And two, it shows that there are people who are courageous who are willing to stand up yeah. and defy this White House. All right, President Trump and his Republican allies have attempted to discredit and dismiss the impeachment probe pretty much at every turn. But as CNN's Caitlin Collins reports for us now, despite the president's Attempts to project confidence, there is mounting anxiety, as Keith was just talking about, inside the White House about what might lie ahead, given the damning testimony. But he was happy to see it happen. Today, President Trump praised House Republicans who stormed a secure room to disrupt the closed-door testimony of another witness in the impeachment inquiry. 
The damning testimony and relentless pace of the probe have sent the White House scrambling. It's about time that somebody made a very bold stand. Today, the press secretary blamed a lack in White House strategy on the secrecy of the hearings. It's like you're fighting a ghost. You're fighting against the air. So we're doing the best we can. Honestly, messaging isn't that hard. But one Republican ally of the president's says it's the White House that needs to up its game. What's missing here, I think, is a coordinated effort to fight back with a message that will penetrate. Uh, let's see if we can get in. Republicans have been frustrated by the growing scandal, as President Trump has grown concerned about a lack of public support. The Republicans have to get tougher and fight. But after the testimony of Bill Taylor, the top diplomat in Ukraine, made it harder to argue Trump did nothing wrong, some Republicans are shifting from defending him full stop. I think we'll get a chance to, to debate that in weeks and months. Some members of the administration, like Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, are dodging questions about impeachment altogether. Today in Kansas, after repeatedly being asked about the probe, Pompeo told the Wichita Eagle, I'm not going to talk about the impeachment inquiry. Now, Jake, Senator Lindsey Graham was lamenting the fact that the White House has not come up with a cohesive strategy yet for impeachment. He was here at the White House today. He ran into the chief of staff, Mick Mulvaney, who told him that they are working on getting some kind of messaging team together. But, of course, we should note the timing here. It's been a full month today since Speaker Pelosi announced that impeachment inquiry. It was going to happen. Yeah, I'm not sure this is a communications problem. Caitlin Collins, thanks so much. A look at why the Republicans' storming stunt on the Hill really is a big deal. Stay with us. And we're back with the politics lead. It was a stunt meant to please President Trump, but might Republicans have to face consequences for it? Nearly two dozen House Republicans stormed a secure committee room on Capitol Hill yesterday where a witness in the impeachment inquiry was scheduled to be deposed. Every cell phone that you see lit up in this video here is a potential cyber security risk and not allowed in the room. The GOP members claim to be shut out of the process, even though, of course, more than 40 House Republicans are on the three relevant committees and are allowed into the room to listen and ask questions, including a number of those demonstrating outside the room, as CNN's Alex Marquardt now reports. They swept down the staircase towards the secure room that the impeachment inquiry is being led from. We're going to go and see if we can get inside. With that battle cry from Florida Republican Matt Gates, the band of around two dozen indignant GOP lawmakers barged for the door, cutting through the crowd gathered outside. The room that the recent parade of witnesses has been testifying in is called a SCIF for Sensitive Compartmented Information Facility, where the House Intelligence Committee meets to deal with very sensitive, often highly classified information. It should be a sanctuary where politics stops at the door. There are strict protocols that govern the carefully designed space, which is secured to prevent foreign adversaries and others from learning the secrets revealed behind those closed doors. No electronics, like cell phones, are allowed inside unless carefully scanned, which that group of Republicans did not do. When it seems like the Congress doesn't care about the proper procedures, I think it makes the intelligence community less likely to share the most sensitive information. There are almost 50 Republican members of Congress who are already allowed access to the impeachment hearings held in the skiff. At least one of them, Pennsylvania Congressman Fred Keller, joined the group that barged in, even though he didn't have to. 
For their part, Democrats dismissed the storming of the skiff as a stunt. It's a bunch of Freedom Caucus members having pizza around a conference table, pretending to be brave. But back in 2016, when it was Democrats eating food and using their cell phones during a sit-in in the House, Republicans called for an ethics investigation, an investigation which was eventually thrown out. Experts who have worked in the skiff say that after yesterday's intrusion, its security was compromised. So it would have to be swept to make sure that it's secure again. Now, Jake, we should note that Congressman Matt Gates, who has been loyal to President Trump and led that charge yesterday, he tried to pull something similar last week when he crashed an impeachment hearing and was kicked out because he isn't on the committees involved. Jake. Alex Marquardt, thanks so much. Um, so, um, First of all, I'm just wondering if somebody could make a Venn diagram of all the people walking in there with their smartphones, yeah. compromising security, and all the people that were offended by Hillary Clinton and sure. the way that her private email server uh, did not comport with security practices. Do the same, Benghazi. I mean, do the same. You could, you could trace this back. You did it with Trey Gowdy just earlier, five minutes ago. Um, listen, those are very serious security concerns. This should be taken seriously, but just optically, Matt Gates is basically the Will Ferrell of, of the party. We're going streaking. Who's with me? He compared himself um, to the lead in the movie 300, I think, actually. Oh, that's adorable. But no, I mean, these are fraternity stunts. And, and as seriously as we should take the security implications, they, these are not to be taken seriously um, as, as a matter of politics. They look like fraternity brothers, um, you know, trying to, to crash a party. By the way, many of them were invited to. Right. I mean, it's just lunacy. None of them looked brave. None of them looked cool. Um, they looked ridiculous. And Keith, President Trump was happy with it. He, he tweeted, uh, thank you to House Republicans for being tough, smart and understanding and in, in detail the greatest witch hunt in American history. This was a disgraceful stunt. I'd go, I'd go further than S.E. would go, and I'll say this looked like a Klan group that had assembled outside of a jail trying to get the sheriff to let them in so they could deliver their own justice against somebody who's inside. It's not a good look for our democracy. It's not a good look for the Republican Party. Forty-seven of them, apparently, are already—, already Republicans are already on these committees that are in this impeachment investigation. Out of 197 total House Republicans, that's a quarter of the entire Republican caucus is already represented. And they're, and they're creating these political stunts in order to throw off their, the attention. They're not focused on the issue of why Trump is being impeached. They're focused on how they can— how they can uh, c complain about the process. And that is the important thing to point out, because if you take a step back and look at the bigger picture, we're talking about national security implications. And a lot of Republicans are focused on a short-sighted issue of appeasing this president. He said he wanted Republicans to be stronger and to show more support. Here they are, right? Compare that to what you saw from these diplomats that were testifying. And only to have, after everything that they went through, the president trash them uh, on Twitter and not have Mike Pompeo come to their defense. Think about the implications this has, not just for Ukraine and foreign policy, but all of our diplomats around the world. You have so many secretaries of defense, I don't care what party they belong to, tell you that the best deterrent for them having to step up and send troops in is diplomacy. And when you have the president say he doesn't even know who Bill Taylor is, mm -hmm. that really is an insult to our diplomatic corps. Can I country. just say one thing to you, Keith, respectfully? Uh, I, I think the Klan metaphor is a, was a little strong, and I, I'm not, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but earlier this week we were talking about lynching and using that word lightly, and I, 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 you know, 
I'm not going to debate the history with, no, with I it. I understand. I use it purposely um, because I felt like there's, there's a visual problem, too, to have these group of almost all white men going in in defense of the white man who is already, I think, in, in by most accounts, a racist, instead of dealing with the issue of how this person is abusing his power as president of the United States. I just wanted to register, and then we can move I, on. That I'm sure I, I'll I, get I, complaints on Twitter, I, but, I, 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 but I, I believe okay. that. Okay, anyway, mo- moving on. I do want you to take a listen, instead, uh, to uh, White House Press Secretary Stephanie Grisham, who doesn't brief the press, but does regularly appear on the president's favorite channel. Here she is. I'm glad they did it. You know, again, these Dems have been doing everything behind closed doors and in secret. And so it's about time that somebody made a very bold stand, which is, I guess, a sit-in, which is what they did. And it was great. Can I tell you the top thing I hear from Republican voters when you go to Trump rallies? The only mild criticism they'll give to their own party is that the Republicans in Congress are not standing up enough for, for, for President Trump. That is why they are doing these things. It's not just for that audience of one, the president who we know they're looking to appease. They're doing that because this is a base that he controls, and this is a base that is not leaving him. They will leave their Republican Congress uh, congressmen and women before they leave the president. They understand that, and they're looking. They're making sure that they don't get the the, the tweet of their their nightmares, which is that he calls out some of them and says that they're not standing up for him. And that's something that they know the base is concerned about. And so, like, why it might be a Stunt, why it might, uh, ha- uh, you know, actually infringe national security concerns. <laughs> this is this is the party. This is the politics and of the party so right now. Just and p- if you're not willing to do that, yeah. you won't be around. So it's not just for an audience of one. It's for their district back home as well. They read the same Republican approval ratings as everyone else does. They know that it is a legitimate fear that the, the that the voters will leave. Them. All right, Ostad, thanks so much. Everyone stick around. We've got more to talk about. It's the new no collusion. We're going to take a look at the president's new phrase to defend himself in the impeachment inquiry. Stay with us. If nothing else, President Trump wants his supporters to remember one thing about this impeachment inquiry. He says there was, quote, no quid pro quo in his dealings with Ukraine. It's the new no collusion. It's contradicted, of course, by testimony from officials who say at the very least it seemed to them that there was a quid pro quo. As CNN's Tom Foreman reports for us now, the no quid pro quo chant might not even be a standard that needs to be met for the president to be impeached. In the call, there was no quid pro quo. The president has grabbed onto the phrase no quid pro quo like a new campaign slogan. There was no quid pro quo. Or a life raft, depending on how you see it. Splattering the words across his public comments. There was no quid pro quo. His Twitter feed and into the statements of his followers. There's no quid pro quo. The Latin phrase is most often heard in legal circles and roughly means something for something, an exchange of favors. For Team Trump, no quid pro quo is a denial, a quick way to say the president did not hold up military aid to Ukraine as a way of forcing that government to investigate his potential Democratic rival, Joe Biden, and his son. But there are problems. You take a look at that call, it was perfect. For starters, according to testimony and documents presented to congressional investigators, Trump was pushing the no quid pro quo line in private conversations well before the Ukraine scandal became public. At the very time, critics say he seemed to be asking for an exchange of favors. What's more, impeachment by law would not require proof of a quid pro quo, but could be invoked merely over the president abusing his power by asking for such a personal political favor from a foreign government, whether or not he offered anything in return. No collusion, 
no obstruction. It's not surprising Trump might grab onto the phrase. He's had luck doing that sort of thing before, claiming time and again that. that the Russia investigation had cleared his name, which the Mueller report did not do. And no collusion. No collusion, no obstruction. Still, it may not work quite as well this time because the problem is the Constitution defines the terms for impeachment and quid pro quo does not even show up. Jake? All right, Tom Foreman, thank you so much. Coming up, two of Rudy Giuliani's associates trying to dig up dirt on Joe Biden are already facing charges. And now, new CNN reporting on how they were cashing in on their ties to Giuliani and to President Trump. Welcome back. President Trump's personal lawyer may now need a lawyer. Sources telling CNN that Rudy Giuliani is shopping around for a defense attorney as he faces questions about his association with two men recently indicted for campaign finance related crimes, including allegations of hiding the origins of a $325,000 donation to a pro-Trump super PAC. Soviet born Lev Parnas and Igor Fruman touted their connections to Giuliani and the Trump administration. I want to bring in CNN's Vicki Ward and Ann Milgram. Milgram is a former prosecutor and was attorney general uh, of New Jersey. But Vicki, let me start with you. Uh, you have a great story up on CNN.com about these guys. They raked in hundreds of thousands of dollars. They jetted around the world, touting their connections to Giuliani and to Trump. Tell us about this Ukrainian billionaire that they were courting. Yes. Uh, so uh, Ukrainians place great stock in the culture of connections. And uh, Parnas and Fruman came to him and promised him that they could broker a meeting with the new president of Ukraine, Zelensky, and wait for it, uh, Energy Secretary Rick Perry and Vice President Mike Pence. Uh, amazing, right? They also dropped Rudy Giuliani's name and they wanted to be paid a big fee for this. And, and uh, the meeting ultimately did happen, but we're not clear that Parnas and, and Fruman had anything to do with it, though. They said, no, it absolutely, they did not have oh, okay. anything to do with it. Okay. But it didn't stop them trying to network um, and use their connections. The day they were arrested, Jake, they were en route to Vienna, and as I say in the piece, to actually broker an appearance by Viktor Shokin, the former Ukrainian prosecutor, uh, to go on Sean Hannity's uh, program on Fox News. Shokin, Shok that's the guy that Joe Biden was exactly. led the charge to have fired. He was not anti-corruption enough. Uh, in another instance, you write about Parnas and Fruman uh, convincing a Florida businessman uh, to loan them $100,000 in order to connect him with Giuliani. How'd they go about doing that? Well, this is the most amazing one of all, pleading abject poverty. They needed money to pay for, uh, Lev Parnas needed money to pay for his son's circumcision. Uh, and they got a check for $100,000, um, which they didn't repay them. The, the, the gentleman who gave them the money had to go to court to get his money back. That's, I guess that's one way to do it. Uh, and let me bring you in. When Parnas and Fruman were in court yesterday, their lawyer, the lawyer for Parnas, um, dragged President Trump in the defense, suggesting executive privilege might apply because Giuliani was an attorney for both Parnas and an attorney for President Trump. You say that this argument likely cannot apply here. Though. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, first of all, it's a really strange argument for someone like that to make. Usually the president makes it or the White House makes it. It's not Parnas's to make himself. That's the first point. The second point is it really only covers official deliberations, things that the president or the senior officials in government are doing. And so even if Parnas is represented by Giuliani and Giuliani also represents the president, there's no indication that these types of communications took place. And finally, and maybe most importantly, executive privilege is not absolute. So even were the president to invoke it here, 
there's a case, United States versus Nixon, that both says it's not absolute and says that in criminal prosecutions, the government often gets access to that evidence. And, and federal prosecutors told the judge that they have a, quote, filter team combing through this potentially privileged material. Couldn't there be some overlap if these two men were trying to carry out the president's agenda in Ukraine. Yeah, there's a really interesting question. If the president and the White House basically come forward and say, we're going to exert executive privilege, that's exactly how it would happen. So the, the judge is smart to have the prosecutors have that already. It means there's a separate group of prosecutors. They go through everything. They see things that are attorney-client privilege, and they take them out so that the, the prosecutors who are handling the case never see that stuff. All right. And Milgram and Vicki Ward, thank you so much. Excellent stuff. Appreciate it. Joe Biden's campaign may be celebrating new polls, but there is a major concern that they're also dealing with. Stay with us. In our 2020 lead today, the Biden campaign is dropping its opposition to a super PAC to bolster his candidacy. A super PAC is an outside group created to raise unlimited sums of money with far fewer rules. Despite polls showing Joe Biden as one of the two frontrunners in the Democratic field, his campaign in recent weeks has been hemorrhaging cash. Uh, let's discuss. And instead, uh, Citizens United, the good government group, they just issued a statement pointing out that in 2016, Biden said he told Bernie Sanders not to take money from a super PAC because if you do, quote, people can't possibly trust you. That was four years ago, three years ago. Mm. Uh, so why has Biden changed his mind? They don't even have to go back that far. As recently as April, he was tweeting that he, uh, he wasn't going to take money from a super PAC. And that wasn't in how he viewed uh, how elections should run right now. Clearly, things have changed. Why? Because they're hemorrhaging cash, as you say, but they also just have a different cost-benefit analysis. They think that they have a firewall once they get through the early states. Once you pass Iowa, New Hampshire, where he is uh, kind of not doing as well, particularly with those white college-educated voters, they think that the working class, uh, non-white coalition in democratic states will stick with them. And they also don't think that they're motivated <clears throat> that much by the anti-Wall Street uh, messages of Warren and Sanders. They think that they have that constituency kind of locked down mm -hmm. if only they can survive to that point. So they know that this is going to cause them uh, some, some attacks, but particularly from the more progressive or, or, or left-wing candidates. They think their constituency really does not care about that because they have oriented their entire campaign around just beat Donald well, Trump. And, 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 Biden has a di I'm sorry. Bi Biden has a different agenda than Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, who are sort of on a progressive purity test campaign. And and really, they are out to prove who's most progressive on a lot of issues, which pleases a lot of their voters. Biden knows that his name of the game is electability. And why do people who like Biden like him? Because they think he can beat Trump. What is Biden's explanation for why he's doing this? Trump's going to do it. So, so are we. And I think if you're someone who's, you know, one of those Democratic voters who just wants to beat Trump, you kind of like that this guy is I'm, I'm, I'm going to break some rules mm. and I'm going to do what it takes to drive this ship ahead. And and uh, and Keith, uh, with the Trump campaign running attack ads against Joe Biden on social media and on television, one Biden ally told CNN, quote, Trump is crushing him with spending. Uh, the argument is basically uh, we can't unilaterally disarm. Yeah, I, I understand that. And they put that statement out today that said that the, that after the election comes, comes happens and, and Biden's elected, they're going to institute all those reforms then. <laughs> but 
You know, I don't really have a strong opinion about what Biden is doing, to be honest. But I do feel like if you're running as an electable candidate, you should be able to show that you're raising money from people and that you have the ability to, to spend your money in a wise, judicious manner. So the fact that he's running through money so quickly is, is not evidence that he's an excellent electable candidate. And beyond a, a Bernie Sanders campaign just released a statement in response saying, quote, the former vice president has been unable to generate grassroots support, and now his campaign is endorsing an effort to buy the primary through a super PAC that can rake in unlimited cash from billionaires and corporations. That's not how we defeat Trump. It's a recipe to maintain a corrupt political system which enriches wealthy donors and leaves the working class behind. That's the argument why not to do it. It's, it's, nobody wants to unilaterally disarm. The idea is there's too much money in politics. It's corrupting everything. That's the Bernie Sanders, Liz Warren uh, argument. And and Joe, I mean, basically they're saying, Joe Biden, you're part of the problem. Well, and this is Joe Biden saying we've calculated the risks and we'll take the hits right now. We don't have another debate where we're going to have this be brought up publicly before the nation for another few weeks. Hopefully we'll be talking about something else there. I agree with you. This is a money issue for them that they've got to deal with right now. And they're thinking longer term. I think it does benefit him to some degree to say that these are unusual times. And his whole message of saying we just have to get Trump out of office is something that could hopefully help him as far as their thought process in convincing voters why he's doing this now. But of course, they've also said once he does become president, that all the change, all the rules will, be, will change and go back. Of course, the problem for Joe Biden <laughs> is that this isn't just the money problem. It's an enthusiasm problem, that the reason the grassroots support isn't coming to, to, to be able to stave off this decision is because there's not that much energy for him. And if that is true, it is, won't be just ads that are going to be able to overcome that. It's, it's a much deeper and more structural problem with the campaign. And, and that and that's what we're going to test now if the super PAC does happen and we see the kind of money start flowing. And, and just one quick, quick, quick point about that, too. I think there is an enthusiasm question about it, but it's the same question we also had with Hillary Clinton in 2016, because Bernie had all the enthusiasm, but she got all the votes. So enthusiasm doesn't necessarily translate to people who, got, who are going to turn out to vote for you uh, at the primary or in the general election. I do think, though, that this might feed into the swampy picture sure. of Joe Biden. 40 yeah. years in politics, Hunter Biden... You know, all these problematic votes that we're going to see coming and up. And if you're Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders, that's exactly what you should say. But I think I think Biden's um, calculus here is he's going to say, you guys want to play by the rules? Great. Let's see how far that gets you. Uh, the rules are going to constrain us. Trump is not going to play by the rules. And if you want someone who's going to take a tough fight to Trump, you have to play on his terms. These are the terms. Um, I'll find my conscience later. You know who's kidding yeah. themselves, though? The other candidates who swore off super PAC money and, ha yeah. and haven't been able to raise anything. <laughs> right? You think of Kamala Harris, Cory yeah. Booker, yeah. all of those. Right. The, you know, yeah. that could the money could have been going Absolutely. to them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we don't want to take a moment right now to remember somebody that remember that was remembered today as a master of the House and a North Star. Right now, Congressman Elijah Cummings, the Democrat from Baltimore who died last week, is lying in state at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, he is the first African-American ever to be given such an honor, according to congressional historians. Cummings was the son of sharecroppers. He found his voice as a passionate advocate for civil rights and, and a moral force in the halls of Congress. He was someone whose personal Friendships knew no party, however. His voice could shake mountains, stir the most cynical hearts, inspiring us all to be better. Those gathered here today have lost a dear friend, and our country has lost a giant. Perhaps this place in this country would be better served with a few more unexpected friendships. 
I know I've been blessed by one. Hearts go out to Chairman Elijah Cummings' family and friends today, especially his widow, Maya. May his memory be a blessing. In our world lead today, the president is defending his decision to leave service members in Syria to protect oil fields, tweeting he, quote, will never let a reconstituted ISIS have those fields, unquote. And now CNN is learning more. Tanks and troops may be moving into the region to protect members of the U.S. military stationed near those oil fields. CNN's Barbara Starr joins me now. Barbara, what is this new mission that you're learning about? Well, Jake, if you're going to keep troops there to protect the oil fields, who's going to protect the troops? The idea is you're going to have to move in something. And there's a range of ideas being discussed at the very highest levels. It could be battle tanks, but that is going to require a lot of support, a lot of extra troops going in. So that may be a very heavy lift for the U.S. military to do that. But there may be lighter armored vehicles that could also move in. One of the big questions is, what is the threat that they have to address? Right now, the president's talking about ISIS, but also Russia, the Syrian regime. They all have battle tanks. If they move into the oil fields, would the U.S. really fire back at them? That's a big question. And Barbara, the president also suggested on Twitter, quote, perhaps it is time for the Kurds to start heading to the oil region, unquote. So he's suggesting that an entire group of people leave where they live and move hundreds of miles away? Yeah, you know, essentially what, self-deport themselves? Uh, you, we, we've heard that concept before. This would be a very controversial idea. It is hard to see how it wouldn't be anything other than a humanitarian disaster. Many people feel it would result, if it ever happened, in the Kurds never being able to return to their homelands. Jake? Certainly not with the Turks pushing in. Barbara Starr at the Pentagon. Uh, thank you so much. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the, sh- the show at The Lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thanks so much for watching. We will see you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country. Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash call me country. Max subscription required.